Welcome. You're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and tips from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or relationships to just living better and with more energy, or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts, and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Let's go. Hey, you're on air with Ella, and I am joined today by Kelly Thompson. Hey, Kelly, how are you? I'm awesome. How are you? I am great, and I'm so pleased to have you on the air today. Kelly, could you do us the honor of telling us who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So I am Kelly Thompson. I am a women's leadership coach. I am a speaker, and I am the author of the book, Closing the Confidence Gap, Boost Your Peace, Your Potential, and Your Paycheck. And when I'm not doing the worky things, I'm married to my husband, Jason, and we are sending our only daughter off to college in two and a half weeks at the time of this recording. So those are the things that we're doing right now. (laughs) You guys, Kelly's about to become an empty nester. I'm not sure I love that term, Kelly. I'd like to rebrand a lot of things that happen after the age of 40. I'd like to fully rebrand them. Empty nest, menopause, pyramid, like the whole thing. So we'll work on that later. But today, I want to talk to you about some of the confidence that you share in your book that you just mentioned, The Confidence Gap. I want to talk today about confidence. I want to talk about what it is and what it isn't to you. I want to talk about how that's applicable both in business, but in life, Kelly. Let's do it. Okay. Let me ask you this. How do you define confidence? I define confidence simply as the ability to trust yourself and then to take action on that. And that's it. That that in contrast to what so many of us think confidence is at some stage in our life is so brilliantly simple. Will you please say that again? Confidence yeah. is what? I want to memorize it. Confidence is the ability to trust yourself and take action on that. In fact, I often say that confidence is a side effect of taking action. What I love so much about that is so many of us conflate confidence and cockiness and being braggadocio. Braggadocio? I'm just making up words. Braggadocious? (laughs) Let's go with that one. What do you think you thought confidence looked like when you were 24? Yeah. So I can even give an example. And I think we've all been there. So when I was like a young, like new career whippersnapper, when we, no matter what you did as a career, you thought you knew all the things. I remember starting in sales and being a pretty good salesperson. And they would put me, they would put all the new hires with me. And I was like, Ooh, this is really fun. I love like, you know, mentoring all the new hires. I'm going to go apply for a job in the training department. So, you know, I fill out my application online and I go to the interviews. And I think I thought what confidence was, was like arrogance assuredness. And I didn't have the awareness of the time, but like looking back, I was told that I like, you know, bolted into that interview, puffy chest, not literally, but you know what I mean? Just assured that I knew what I was going to do and how I was going to change the department and how I was going to make sales training different. And so the people receiving that, they were like, dang, like she's really sure about coming in and roughing all our feathers and telling us what's going to be changed. Well, as you can imagine, I did not get the job. And I remember I was really miffed about that because I was sure that I was a shoe in, right? Because I had all the technical skills and I had a very loving manager pull me aside. I went and asked her, why didn't she hire me? And she said, Kelly, do you know the difference between confidence and cockiness? And I was like, I think so. And bless her heart. She went on to tell me that, the, in fact, that I did not know the difference between confidence and cockiness. And over the course of my career, that was a really big personal development thing for me. 
And I really kind of boil it down to this and that like confidence is like this gentle knowing. It's like a gentle trusting of yourself where confidence has a lot of proving energy. Like really thinking about coming into situations where you felt like I have to prove myself. I have to show them. And sometimes in that proving error, like proving energy, we can lean into a lot of arrogance and assuredness and control and conviction, like overdone conviction, where I really believe, and from what I've learned, is that confidence is really a gentle knowing. It's a trusting yourself. It's learning to ask the right questions, but not necessarily have all the answers and feel assured kind of in what you bring to the table, but not in a way that I need to prove it because confidence knows it's enough. And so when I really boil it down, confidence without curiosity is cockiness. And I think that that is the big level of discernment, you know, when I'm coaching women who maybe have to go share an idea or give some feedback or go be in a room of some sort where they need to, you know, kind of they they want to get some things done is how do they maintain that healthy level of curiosity? You know, one that, you know, they are owning who they are and they have those gifts and talents, but they're remaining curious enough that I can build those connections with other people and, you know, not try to be right and be open to learning. And and it just ends up a lot better that way. So, you know, in my story, I definitely did not bring any curiosity into that interview. (laughs) Can you use an example in real life? It can be totally made up about what that curiosity looks like in a room. What does it sound Mm -hmm. like, Kelly? Okay. So walking into a room and um, unfortunately I have a lot of firsthand experience. It might be me going into a room with um, let's just say a team of other peers and there's probably like an executive decision maker present. Okay. And I want that team to believe that my idea or project management strategy or whatever I was doing is the way that we should go. Okay. We've got a problem and I have the idea that I think we'll solve it. Okay. Cockiness is coming into that room and saying, here's the problem, here's my idea, and here's how we're going to solve it. That part, there's nothing wrong with. But then when people come and say, oh, gosh, Kelly, I don't know about that. Or have you thought about this? Or have you done that? Cockiness is all like, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm, totally thought of it. Yeah, I don't think that'll work. Or why do you say that? Like, it's very like punchy. It's very challenging where, you know, confidence would come into a room and say, hey, we have this problem. And I have some ideas here. I want to solve it. And I want to talk to you about them. Um, But as I'm going through this, I also want to pause and take your questions so that you can maybe tell me where I'm wrong. That's the difference is I think people who are truly confident want to be told where they're wrong because you know what? Something better comes. And so that way, you know, when people are saying, Ooh, Kelly, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know about that process. I don't think that's going to work. Instead of me being cocky and being like, well, I think it will. I'm just saying I may have done that or heard other people do it. Me saying, that's really interesting. Can you say more about why you have that perspective? Like that's confidence. I have the I am enoughness energy about myself that I know that that person is not attacking me or my competence or anything. Like they're inviting dialogue. Um, I actually heard, I'll just close with this. I believe it was either Ruth Bader Ginsburg who said it or somebody was talking about her. I, I can't find the direct quote anymore. But it was something to the effect of the reason why Ruth Bader Ginsburg was so pivotal in changing policy and government is because she spoke and created dialogue in a way that invited conversations to begin instead of end. And that's how I define confidence. I go in with an idea and I'm inviting dialogue to begin versus coming in with cockiness saying, this is my idea. This is how we're going to do it. Please don't challenge me. 
I relate to the story that you shared so much, because if I could speak to 24-year-old me, I would say competence is so much quieter than what you think it is. And it involves so much more listening than speaking in many cases when you're working with teams, for example. And at the same time, Kelly, you have just let an entire population of women completely off the hook in the best way. And this is what I mean. You and I both came from a place where confidence was like cowboy like, you know, like we yeah. came in with like ropes swinging. And there's a whole faction of people listening, of course, who feel that that is inaccessible to them. If that was also their vision of confidence, they feel like maybe they just, that gene is missing for them and therefore it is not accessible to them. And what you've just shared with them is when you identify that confidence is trusting yourself, it doesn't matter what your personality is. It doesn't matter what you are on the Enneagram chart. You don't have to be an ENTJ uh, on the Myers-Briggs. Yeah. Myers-Briggs. And it's not about personality, right? It's more of a decision than that. Can you speak into that a little bit? Yeah. Let's just back up a little bit. Remember in the not so distant like past, Women like couldn't even borrow money or get a credit card in their own name to like 1974. Okay. Like my grand, my great grandma couldn't even write her own checks. Okay. So 1974. Okay. Bracket that. For many of you listening, you're probably thinking, that's my mother. Okay. So remember, we were in a workforce up until then that was designed by men for men that rewarded the behaviors that men enjoy to use in the workplace. If you've ever watched the HBO show Succession, if not, I highly recommend. It was that sort of cowboy sort of environment that Ella's talking about that that won out. And so I think sometimes, especially like for myself, I grew up in banking. It was a very male-dominated environment. And so the role models that I had is that domineering. I can be charismatic sometimes without not always having all the answers. I just need to be the loudest talk talker in the room. The world rewards extroverts. And so I remember as a young woman in corporate America thinking that if I wanted to be successful, well, then I need to be that. And it took me maturity, age, and a lot of trying to be that very poorly for me to learn and go, oh, wait a minute. I don't have to be that. What I need to be is I need to own the unique approach that I have. And yes, I've always been called direct or blunt or assertive or straightforward. And sometimes, you know, women get a rap for that. But I can also blend that in alignment with my personal values, which are love, respect, family, creativity, and learning. So I can be direct and kind. I can be direct and, you know, creative about how I deliver things. I can be direct and respectful. And I had a lot more success. You know why? Because I wasn't trying so hard. I wasn't exhausted from trying to be something I'm not. So like when we take a step back, I actually told this to a chief executive officer that I coached yesterday because she is the only woman on the entire C-suite team full of men in a male-dominated like tech company. And she kind of had this question. She's like, why can the guys get away with this? And it's just that reminder, I think hopefully a validation. Remember, it is not too distant history. We were in a world created by men foreman. And there's just a lot of things that linger, but that also doesn't mean that that's the approach that you have to take. And I think with more women advancing into leadership, which which is a mission of mine, I think that that is something that we can definitely change. When we talk about confidence as the ability to trust in oneself, to me, that means that we have to be able to lean on our own intuition. But Kelly, in that case, we need to know what the heck our intuition is, how to listen to it, what it means, what that still small voice looks like and sounds like, and how do we trust it? And I don't know about you, 
But I would say that for, let's say from the age of 34 to 44, just in round numbers, I wasn't listening to my intuition and I was running hard and fast and staying incredibly busy. Sometimes I wonder, Kelly, if it was in an effort to not ever have to dial in to my intuition. Can you relate Mm -hmm. to that at all? Oh my gosh. I always tell women I and I ask them, if you're listening right now, you can just ask yourself this question. At what age did you go on your first diet? Or did you kind of start to think, oh, I'm reading this beauty magazine or watching the commercials and I need to, you know, do something different with my body than I really want to because somebody is telling me that my body is wrong. In my personal opinion, I write about this in my book, I believe that women stops trusting their intuition from probably around age eight to when beauty magazines or the diet industry said, oh, I know you're hungry, but you shouldn't eat. Like there's just nudgings and things happening in our body that we learn to override from a very young age. And so then, you know, we get into high school and we got all the things we get into college, we get into work and we're told that there is a way that you should be to be happy and successful. And this is the list of all the things that you need to do. And I talk about this in my book too. And I was guilty. Like we're checking off items like a boss. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm getting married young and I'm gonna have kids young because then I'll be a young mom and I'll have energy and then I'll go to grad school and then I'll get the corner office. I mean, check, 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 check. Whatever your list is from your family of origin. And let me tell you, there were times I remember before I even walked down the aisle with my first husband, like something was nudging me. Like, oh, Kelly, are you sure? Are you sure? But I didn't have the wherewithal in myself you know, because my brain just kept jumping in and overriding my intuition saying, oh, you're in too deep. You can't call this off. What will people think? Your dad spent so much money. And so, you know what? We do it. And then we get into jobs and maybe somebody says, oh, you should do this thing or make this decision or go into this career. And something feels off. Like we get a little nudging, but then our brains go, oh, Kelly, don't do that. You know, this person has a lot of faith in you and they look really happy and successful and it's the right thing and you don't want to disappoint them. And it wasn't until I was married for seven years and I got divorced. I immediately got into another relationship again. And I was with that person for five years. And um, I finally had the kind of, you know, the 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 awareness that was like, I, I can't go through with this wedding. And just, I was sick. I was physically sick. Things were like breaking down and happening, you know, inside my body. I even remember going to the doctor at some point because I thought I had like an intestinal thing. Well, as it turns out, like I was so tight from clenching all day at work from stress. Like it was just internal muscle stuff. And I'll never forget. And again, I write about this in the book too. I had a coworker come in who kind of knew what was happening and I was telling her everything. And she said, she looked at me and she said, Kelly, God, or whatever you believe in, is not the author of chaos. He is the author of peace. And in that moment, and I still feel it, I knew what peace felt like. And it wasn't it. Like when you say the word peace, you're meant to live in peace. I'm meant to live in peace. You're meant to live in peace. Like something happens in your whole body that's like, oh, and I knew I wasn't living in peace at all. And that was the first time I was actually ever able to trust myself that, you know, my intuition is saying, no, no, don't do this. And my I wouldn't let my mind override it. Fast forward, I end up going through coaching programs and the coaching program I went through was by author Martha Beck. And she talks a lot about intuition and and such. And she taught us how to scan our body and really how to listen to when our body, our intuition is saying, heck yes, or hell no. 
And the simplest way you all can do it today is, you know what, when your body is like, heck yes, you can probably think of a time where you felt light and airy and effervescent and just, you know, like tingly all over, right? And I bet if I asked you, you could probably think of a time in your career where you said yes, but you really wanted to say no. If I'm asking you to think about that, your body probably starts to like constrict a little bit. Maybe feel a little tight. Maybe you felt your shoulders tense up. Maybe you felt your throat close. And that is just your body telling you heck yes or hell no. And I made it my mission to teach people, especially in corporate America, because we don't like to talk about this, how to trust their intuition again. Because so much of learning to be confident and make the right decisions for yourself is learning and pausing and recognizing when your body is saying heck yes or hell no. What's coming up for me is that so many of us, we listen to podcasts or we begin on these self-improvement, I'm saying a little bit in quotes, Mm -hmm. journeys, et cetera, because we're trying to chase the thing that will make us feel better or look better or stop having headaches or deal with weight fluctuations or create more harmony in our relationships. And so we go outside of ourselves for these resources. And there's a lot to be said for that. Of course, of course, the world is full of useful resources. I hope that this conversation becomes one for somebody, Kelly. And at the same time, reflecting on that and thinking about my own journey, like 80% of the answer is to actually get still and get quiet and get a little bit more comfortable and familiar with that inner voice and with your intuition. Mm-hmm. And it's just not, it's not a terribly sexy thing to say. And it's not, it's not something you can sell, you know, a downloadable coaching program about, um, Actually, I'm sure you can, and many people do. <laughs> but what I mean is, yeah. if the answer resides within you, when you come to the realization that so much of what we're searching for is actually already baked in, and we've just spent so much of our life piling layers and layers and layers on top of that, like it's a super interesting thing to bump up against. I'll just use an example from my own life. I started this podcast seven years ago, maybe, and I was on this journey to share accessible health information with the world as a consumer, as a layman, because I realized that health is not as complicated as the interwebs would lead you to believe, right? And that's what motivated me. But it turned into something where I was searching for an answer at all times on how to optimize, on how to be the best version of me, on how to feel better, on how to turn down the frenetic energy, on how to stop overeating sometimes and overtraining sometimes and yada, 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 right? For other people, those overs, those over-unders might look like over-shopping, under-connecting with other people, withholding, overspending, overdoing, over-drinking, over-consuming, right? And we have all of these layers that we put on top of ourselves to cover up that little voice inside of us. Is there a mm-hmm. shortcut? Is there anything that we can do to share with somebody who's not yet quite dialed into that voice inside them? Is there anything that you wish you knew when you were butting up against that reality yourself? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the one phrase um, that I really remind folks of is that, you know, intuition is going to tell you things that you don't want to hear. And so that's why you have to really have confidence and courage and trust in yourself. 
because your intuition will tell you things that are very inconvenient. Did I, did, was it inconvenient when my intuition kept nudging me that like, Kelly, I think you need to call off the wedding. Kelly, I think you need to rethink this. No, that was very inconvenient. And in <laughs> fact, I knew that the decision was going to be quite painful. And so when you talk about overworking, over drinking, over shopping, over whatever, insert activity here, that's a very convenient way to numb out your intuition because, you know, real intuition sometimes can feel like not scary. It can feel very inconvenient. You know, but you can always know the difference between intuition and fear because, you know, intuition is gentle. You know, my intuition was never like, you better call off this wedding or else you better do this or else that's fear. Intuition is just like, Hey, Ella, why don't you, why don't you look at that again? You know, I think for those of us who maybe have, you know, close family relationships or children, intuition has been that voice that says, you know, you should call your mom today. Go check on the baby one more time. It's very patient. You know, intuition kind of has a humor with us, right? That if we don't listen to it the first time, when it comes back around again, it doesn't never says, I told you so. It says, hey, check on that again. Fear is very urgent. You must do this, do this or else. And I think lots of times, like that's how we can pay attention. But if you like are like, oh my gosh, Kelly, I don't even know. This is so crazy. I can't believe you're talking about it. I want to give you something even simpler. I want you to just slow down and pay attention to your energy. Let's say you get an invite to go to a friend's party this weekend. Pause. Did that make your energy go up or did that make your energy sink down? That's simple. That's the only thing that I want you to start doing. And if you can start paying attention to your energy and putting more time and energy into things that surge your energy, you will then start to recognize when you get a request in and you feel everything sink, you can stop and be like, wait a minute, I need to give that some thought. Let me get back to you. So then you can take it and you can go sort it out. But that I think is the simplest way we can just kind of slow down and start paying attention. We love a small action step here, taking the next smallest step in order to progress toward a goal. Because my listeners who have been with me for a while, Kelly, know that I love to talk about how useful meditation is. I accept that that is intellectually true. (laughs) And I ain't out here meditating. Like it's just not, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm trying to eat vegetables. I'm trying to drink water and I'm not yet trying to meditate. I get it. Uh-huh. Connecting with your intuition does not mean going on a 10 day silent retreat necessarily. Can we talk about some more little ways that we can start adding, checking in with that voice? And I want to include those folks who are starting to do that in many areas of their life and still are absolutely not doing it in some of the harder areas of their life. So I know a lot of people who, when it comes to work or sort of, I want to say like, external factors are able now to dial in as to whether I want to do that or whether I want to say no to that. And they're really, they've been working on that for a while, but they're still not listening to their intuition when it comes to their own bodies Mm -hmm. as an example. So can you share a few small ways that we might start dialing into that inner voice and you can pick any arena? Yeah, sounds good. So I just want you all to know that I don't like to meditate either, but I find walking just as helpful. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to come back to that because like, let's just set context here. I don't want you to think that like, I'm this like woo woo person who's always had it figured out by trade. I am a banker. 
I love a sexy Excel spreadsheet. In fact, that's how I made the majority of my decisions. I'm very proud of them. That's hot. For those, for those of you who know any personal development stuff, I am an INTJ on the Myers-Briggs and an Enneagram 5. I am not connected to my body in any sense of the term. I have a head on sticks until it didn't work for me. So I'm going to tell you little, little, little things. I want you as a just beginning to get out of your head and into your body. And getting into your body could look like meditation if you that's your jam. For me, getting out of my head and into my body was moving my body. I love walks. I am moving my body and it creates that mind-body connection. I don't know if you've ever just like had a problem at work. So you close your computer and you go on a walk and like the path becomes clear. It's getting into your body. I love weightlifting. You can do any sort of body work. You can do yoga, gardening, cooking, believe it or not, is a wonderful way to get into your body and just like get your body moving and thinking about doing body movements, being intentional. So very practical tips. The other thing that you can do that is very small is if you are new to this, stop saying yes to things right away. Some of us are right. Yeah, sure. That sounds great. Instead, just for maybe a day or so, if somebody asks you to do something, say, oh, thanks for asking. I'm going to go check my calendar. Even if it's a yes, I want you just to give that little window of permission for you to go in and be like, okay, if I say yes to this, I'm going to imagine myself going to that meeting that I wasn't invited to. Okay, I'm sitting in the meeting. What's happening in my body? Am I tightening up? Am I getting constricted? Or imagine myself sitting in that meeting. Ooh, I'm kind of excited to be there. They're going to talk about some cool stuff. I can make some impact. I mean, yeah, I might be have imposter syndrome or whatever, but in general, like I want to be in the meeting. So step one, just find things that get out of your head into your body. Step two, don't say yes to everything right away. Just say no, or I'm checking. Thanks for the invite. I'm going to go look. I got to talk to my partner, whatever it is, because I want you just to give yourself a little bit of space so you can just practice. What does yes feel like in my body? What does no feel like in my body? The third thing that you can do is my hunch is that some of you probably have a nudging that you're ignoring something that's like, you know, I think it's time to make a career change. And it just keeps coming back. Be like, oh, no, no, I can't do that. The money's too good and the golden handcuffs and what will people think? You know, something that can be really powerful is just to explore the opposite of that. Like, listen to what your intuition is saying that feels very scary to you. It's tempting to let our minds talk us out of what our intuition knows to be true. But just flip it. Well, what, what if I did make a career change? How could it be just as true that I would make more money? And I'd be more happy. And just kind of just notice that little brain toggle because I think sometimes it helps us just kind of think about things in a new way. So simple tips, out of your head, into your body, say no just to give yourself time and space to process. And then number three, if you have kind of that nudging, I want you just to kind of practice, you know, practicing all your fears in your mind that are keeping you from doing the thing to the opposite and just, just kind of see what happens for you. Kelly, the brilliance of that is that it's so doable and it's so accessible and it starts with you and it ends with you. There's nothing to buy. There's nothing to consume. There's no supplement to take. Like at the end of the day, and I'll, I'll give you one really silly example. When I really started absorbing this language, if you will, I would do things like think very mindfully about what my body wanted to eat because I was going through a thing. And that is one way I started to get back in touch with my intuition, which to say I overrode that intuition for years would be uh, quite the um, understatement. 
but standing in my closet and being like, what does she want to wear today? Like just these silly <laughs> low stakes tests that allowed me to listen to my voice or to sort of go with the energy that I was in. And I say this to you as a left brained, overthinking, critical, like you and mm-hmm. I, I don't think identify as majority woo. <laughs> yeah. So I like that you've broken those two things apart because there's so much space here at the table for absolutely everybody. This isn't about personality. This is about dialing in to the gifts that you were given when you were made. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just, it's these little micro moments. In fact, one of the assignments that I give people when we've done deeper body work is, okay, here's your homework. You probably have to drive to work or school or drop off or gym or something today. And in my hunches, sometimes there's like two ways we can get to work, right? The left way or the right way. When you're at the stop sign, stop, check in with your gut. Imagine going left. What does that do to your body? Raise your energy. What does it do to your energy? Imagine going right. Okay. What does that do to your energy? Pick the one that feels a little better. Just test it. Maybe you like saw a deer or something really cool because you went right. You're like, I never seen this animal today. I did not like that's when you talk about low stakes ways, that's what I tell them. I'm like, practice and find little micro moments, low stakes ways where you can trust your intuition on what you want to wear, which direction you want to go, what food you want to eat. Because the more that you can start practicing your intuition in those low stakes moments, then when you need your intuition in high stakes moments in the boardroom, job offers, calling off weddings, deciding you know what partners are right for you, like you've got some repetition under your belt. At the top of this conversation, you started talking about how we disassociate with our intuition when we are in adolescence, really. And I think there is so much truth in that for masses and masses of people. In fact, I was, I have a small person in my life, not in my, not in my household, (laughs) but in my immediate family. And she is my spirit animal. We're both like slightly feral and horseplay is our love language. And we just have so much fun together. And we were playing, we were together at a family event. And I mean, she loves to be like picked up and tossed in the air, that type of thing. Right. And she's an adolescent. She's eight. And at one point she's like, okay, stop. I was tickling her maybe. And she's like, stop. And I said, and I stopped immediately. And she was so shocked because our whole thing is like this silliness and this horseplay. And I am obviously bigger and stronger than she is. And she was so surprised that just her no and her stop was enough to cease. And and she said something, she sort of expressed that, or like, I could just tell. And I said, I said to her, your no is a full sentence. And if somebody doesn't stop, when you say stop, that is a problem. And I tried to, I'm, I'm not doing a great job of setting up the story now because I'm making it sound bigger than it was. It was a micro moment where I simply connected her stop to an absolute cessation of the activity that was going on so that she knew that her no is a full sentence. I can tell you 1200 stories about how that I did not have that experience for my entire adolescence. I'm not just talking about tickle wars, Kelly. I'm talking about people taking liberties, right? Mm -hmm. Tiny, tiny liberties, but they add up over a woman's lifetime and over a child's experience to teach you that you are not actually the authority over your own body, whether it was the stupid teen magazine showing up in my mail telling me what I was supposed to look like, or it was somebody putting their hand on me in a way that was uncomfortable. And so I think that it's, I don't mean to go deep and dark here, Kelly, but I think Mm -hmm. that it's actually really important to be curious about how we disconnected from our intuition in the first place. 
And I would ask you with that in mind, if you even agree with the premise, mm-hmm. With that in mind, what do you tell your young adult daughter or what would you counsel us to say to the younger people in our lives, whether we're mentors or parents? Yeah. Your example is a great one. And I'm not even going to try to beat that when it comes to like honoring your yeses and nos, because I think that's really important. I'll just give you some examples of what I've done with my daughter. You know, when she was younger, I wasn't as aware. Um, But then as I got older, I would say I really started to talk to her about listening to her body, probably when she was about age, I don't know, 12 or 13. And I remember sometimes she would come home with a thing. Okay. And, you know, that thing might have been, I got invited to this party and I don't know if I want to go or do I want to go out for this club? And so like in kid like language, I would often just say instead of like trying to like reason her out of it or reason her into it or you should do it because it would be a good thing and blah, blah, blah. I would just ask her, I'm like, well, when you think about going to the meetings, does it make you feel more excited or less excited? Like, does it feel exciting or does it feel a little dreadful? You know, sometimes she'd say, well, it feels exciting. I guess I just feel nervous. And then that's kind of when the, like, you know, the confidence stuff comes in. Like she wanted to be there, but then all the junk gets in and that turns into a different conversation. But sometimes she would say, oh, I think I would just dread going mom. Okay. Well, yeah. Say more about that. What would you really want to do? What are you really looking for? But to this day, I really, before I ever give her advice, I try to give her advice. I always encourage her first to like check in with herself. How are you feeling about this? Does this make you feel more excited? Does it make you feel a little dreadful or whatever kid words your kid would understand that helps them just kind of compare and contrast like even the emotions in their bodies. Like we didn't talk about emotions when I was little, but like I lots of times try to slow down and like, well, how are you feeling about that? Does that make your energy go up or does that really drain your energy? And really just get her to check in with herself first before we try to get into any sort of problem solving. I think that's so useful for kids in relationship too, because kids from school age forward have so many challenges with their peers and their friendships, and it can be quite tricky. And I really, really like the idea of having them dial into how that person makes them feel as Mm -hmm. well. Yes, we talk a lot about that because I had to learn the hard way because I thought somebody or something looked good on paper. I would ignore how it made me feel. And like, I just don't want her to have that experience. Like, I want her to be able to trust that and, you know, stop and be like, how does that make me feel? You know? And as a parent, let me tell you, it is maddening because it has created some situations. And in the last year of her being a senior, where she is very convicted on what she wants to do and what she doesn't want to do and how she's feeling. And I'm living with the results of my parenting. But you just have to know, right, that like, you know, while everybody who's been around, you know, a teenager with a little senioritis can probably relate, I'm hoping it will serve her very well as she gets into adulthood. Yeah, I'm telling you, parenting is no win. Like when you do it successfully, they fully launch and leave, right? That is successful parenting. Meanwhile, in between the beginning and that, you have to let them make their own mistakes. Even if, even when you see a big sign that says, this is a mistake. Yes. (laughs) This is a wall you're about to run into face first and you have to, you have to let it. It's very painful. (laughs) Kelly, this has been. A really, really useful conversation. I hope it spoke into somebody's life today because I think there are some real gems here and I really want them to read your book. So the book is Closing the Confidence Gap. Tell us where to find you, Kelly. 
Yeah, you can find me at kellyraythompson.com. I'm Kelly with an I-R-A-E. If you like free stuff, I've got a little free tab on my website too, where you can download some things that kind of hit on some of the topics that we talked about today. Kelly, thank you so much. Thank you. This was a fun conversation. Okay, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, find me on Instagram at onairwithella or get the show notes and all the links shared today at onairella.com. There's no with, it's just onairella.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing the show and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.